0: You're listening to the Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to the SBNY Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Apple Play, SoundCloud, and on Spotify. Joining me today on the episode is my NBA outsider extraordinaire, John Lucas Duffy, to talk all thing NBA hoops. Uh, We start off by talking about the Los Angeles Clippers now that we've been able to see Kawhi Leonard and Paul George play together we're able to evaluate the early showings of this new Clippers team uh, that we've been looking forward to seeing all off season. What makes them great outside of Kawhi and PG, and also what are some of the things that uh, they may need to work on. But with some good stuff off the start, uh, being able to see the Clippers play at close to full strength. And then also we go through our biggest disappointments of the NBA season, hop around from west to east, a couple different teams, a couple different players, uh, and we dive deep into what has disappointed us so far about 15 games into this NBA season. Because there's unfortunately been a couple, but it's great conversation, and some of those disappointments do have a great chance to flip back onto the positive. But if you like what you've been hearing from the SBY podcast, don't be bashful. Go to the Apple Podcast app and hit that subscribe button. Drop a little rating and review. We love nothing more than to hear from you guys and what you want to hear more about on the show and uh, even some of your opinions. We love to, to hear that, discuss it, and communicate back to you, whether it be live on the pod or on Twitter, which you can find me, at Pete Kennedy with two Ys on the end, or at SportblogNYC. So without further ado, it's time to start the program an NBA episode of the Sports Blog New York podcast with myself, Peter Kennedy, and John Lucas Duffy right here, right now on the Sports Blog New York podcast. Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy and joining me, the NBA outsider himself, my good old pal, John Lucas Duffy. What's up, brother?
1: What's up? What's up, PD?
0: JLD is in the house. No Frank Vellani today on the program. Uh, Which means generally better audio, no offense Frank, but (laughs) (laughs) we're just going to tell it like it is. And if he listens back to this episode that he's not on and he wants to come fight us, I'll still tell him to get a better microphone. He is working on it, so hopefully we'll get there in the near future, but generally Duff and I just have better audio. So today will be an audio-friendly podcast. Does that sound right, Duff?
1: Sounds great. Sounds great (laughs) to me. I'm sure it sounds great to everyone
0: else. Uh, Except Frank. Anyways, uh, today we have some NBA stuff to talk about. Uh, obviously, we had some some big NFL stuff happen today, uh, and when I say big, nothing really that big happened per se, but in New York, the Jets did put a smack in to the Oakland Raiders and Sammy D looked great, uh, the Giants actually lost to the Bears, in the game they had a much better chance to win than maybe, you know, I don't want to say what the final score showed because it ended up looking kind of close, but even closer than it felt in that fourth quarter, it should have been... A Giants opportunity to win. That was a really clunky sentence, but maybe you guys knew what I tried to say there. Uh, But we're not going to be talking much football today. We're going to be talking NBA stuff as we do when me and Duff uh, are on the program. We have some things to talk about because since we last spoke, Duff, we have now seen Kawhi Leonard and Paul George not only play together at all, but a couple games. And we got to see them play some good competition uh, as they've now played, I believe, since then. The Rockets, the Celtics, among some other teams. So we're going to break down our early thoughts of the Clippers as a full squad with Kawhi and Paul George both on uh, on the floor at once. And next, after that, we are going to break down our biggest disappointments of the NBA season Thus far, we'll each uh, give a couple, and we'll break it down and see what disappointments can actually flip and turn positive, and which ones are going to continue to disappoint us as this year goes on. So, Duff with the Clippers, I'll let you I'll let you kind of take the floor and set us up because we got to see some good games, we got to see some high intensity moments out of PG before Kawhi came back as their their injuries kind of didn't or they overlapped in a bad way there now they're both back what have you seen early from a general chemistry standpoint with these two superstars on the court at once uh
1: from a chemistry standpoint it's definitely still not there yet which is good news for clippers fans because guess what they're 2-0 since they play together so talent seems to be winning out thus far um but they haven't really interacted with each other on the court and what i mean by that is there hasn't been any dribble handoffs pick and rolls Gimbal goes anything. They don't really seem to be playing on the same side of the court. It's either you know Kawhi or PG with Harrell or Lou Williams. It's it's kind of been like that. And I, you know, the, I'm I'm fine with that. Like you know, something we didn't see a lot from Golden State during the regular season was the Steph KD pick and roll. And then during the playoffs, it would just destroy everyone, right? So less film on it, the better. Plus, you know, both these, as you said, both these guys are coming back from injuries. So kind of just instead of putting so much on them right away and just throwing them together and say, Hey, you two superstars, you never play with anyone like each other. Now we're going to put you together and make it work. It's just kind of like, all right, feel your own game out. We're good enough between the two of you to, to figure it out on it by ourselves and it'll be fine." And that's kind of what's been going on. They've won two really close games. And in the fourth quarter, they've outscored teams by six points and seven points in those two games. So One thing we were harping on with this uh, Clippers team last week was their ability to close out late in games, and because they have elite players in the one-on-one end and and pick-and-roll with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and uh, like right now, most of all, Lou Williams, who has really been leading them to the promised land at the end of these games, particularly against the uh, against the Rockets uh, and that three-point win. So. I like what I'm seeing from the Clippers. It's nowhere near a finished product yet, but I still, you know, they were, they were losing going into each of these fourth quarters and losing late into the fourth quarter, uh, down by 10 points against the Celtics or the right. I can't remember which one, but they were down by double digits with like under six minutes to go against one of those teams. And they found their way back because they just have so many options. I really don't know how you can possibly cover everyone on the court. Uh, that That's a threat to score because it's all five players. So, uh, I like what I'm seeing from the Clippers, and I, I'm really excited to to keep watching them as the season goes on.
0: I really loved what Patrick Beverly said after that first game against the Celtics in the post-game interview. Uh, he, he really was quick to point out the fact that he's like, yo, we haven't even practiced together yet. Like, we haven't done anything. So wild. We haven't done anything as a real team yet. He's like... What you saw, this is not what he said, I'm now adding to what he basically was pointing out. What we saw in that first game against the Celtics was brand new, not to just us, but also to all those players on the floor. You know, Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell have that amazingly dynamic pick and roll game they got going. Like Those two guys now have to figure out how to fit in their game next to not one, but two superstars who are new to this team, new to this organization, new to each other. So there's a lot of moving parts, and Patrick Beverly is probably one of the types of people who can really plug into any team because he does the little things. He's not demanding the ball. He's not really breaking down many people off the dribble. He's going to spot up, shot uh, shoot. He's going to play hard defense. He's going to be a pain in the ass. But seeing early on what Montrez Harrell can do, Lou Williams can do, n- next to Paul George and Kawhi has been really impressive. And I think it's just really important to note that they seem to get better late in games which is crazy you would think almost the other way around when early on in their uh, their chemistry experiment that they would be better in low pressure environments um you know not as much uh, intense defense and etc but it turns out they've actually been slow to start not looking great for 3 quarters and in fourth quarters flipping a switch and saying hey Lou hey Kawhi. hey PG one of you guys is going to grab the ball and make something happen. And with those three guys all being A-level closers, that's no joke. Like three A-level closers on one roster. It's incredibly dangerous. I'm scared, Duff, for when they start figuring out quarters one, two, three. Like, it's it's pretty insane to think about how they've actually played eh for 3 quarters, 2 games in a row against two of the better teams in the league and were able to still turn it up another notch without even knowing one another to beat to put out some other great closers like Kemba slash Jason Tatum, like James Harden and they were still able to put them down.
1: Yeah, they're like the anti Dallas Mavericks where like Luka's leading the league in first quarter points and they're they're just doing the inverse of that. And uh by the way, whoever had the under on mentioning Luka Doncic and the podcast congratulations um at the end of these games i I see your point where they're like you know they're smart enough to figure it out at the end of these games who has the hot hand okay we've seen them for three quarters and now what can we exploit it kind of reminds me like the way they play kind of reminds me of like from what i've seen two games right so who knows but it kind of makes me think of like a football game where like all right there's this there's this weakness we know we can exploit if we have to. And whether it's like a screen pass or a bubble screen or, you know, running off tackle, whatever random thing it might be. Teams will wait until the end of the game in a fourth quarter drive. And they'll just run that play three times in a row. And you're like, wow, what is this hole in the defense? All of a sudden it's like, no, they saw that. And they were just kind of holding it until they absolutely needed to, because this is when they need to score. And they knew they could exploit it and they didn't want to tip their hand. So now at the In the fourth quarter of the Celtics game, Paul George was the one who was who was executing late in the game with a couple shots by Kawhi Leonard, including that thunderous dunk he had over, Ooh. who was it, Daniel Tice, yeah. where he just hung on the rim. Oh, yeah. Just complete, like, he looked like he fell asleep. I'll never get over it. Kawhi Leonard's got, like, a top five sleepy face NBA player. Like, <laughs> we talk about T-Mac and Kyrie Irving. I think Kawhi Leonard might be, like, number three on that list now. It's
0: so sleepy um, that we sleep on it.
1: It's yes. Wow. Great point. I got um, you, dog. I got you. Also, uh, Pat Beverly hit a great corner three against the uh Celtics late. I think to put him up by, yeah, one that might have been was that an overtime Put uh, put off like 199 something like that. I don't score, but it was
0: from the far corner, and he was yeah. due. He was so due, he has not been shooting the ball well.
1: No, he hasn't. But like he was so wide open for a corner three, like he's not a great shooter. But if you put him in that situation, like that's a shot he's going to have to take.
0: Hundred percent. It's a great. And
1: if you get him that wide open, he's he's more likely than not, like he's more likely to make it right. than in other situations. And then at the end of the Rockets game, the guy who stepped up was Lou Williams. And Kawhi Leonard was definitely banged up in that game. He banged knees with someone else. He didn't look right. He was limping off the court at the end of the game. Like. I, mean, I think we really downplay like how bad that leg injury was that he had had and and 100%. that he was trying to nurse. And then, you know, it makes me it makes you think back to that whole Spurs debacle where he wasn't saying anything, he wasn't playing, like no one knew what was going on. And he must have felt that his body wasn't right. And then he had all these people like Ginobili and Parker coming out of the woodwork saying like, "Yo, this dude should be playing." I don't know what's going on. Like and the doctor saying like he's cleared to play. Like he should play and all this stuff and he's still not right like three years later so it, it yeah. makes you think
0: tony parker i'm pretty sure he said like yeah i had the same injury i was back in two weeks or something like that it's like damn dog yeah really blowing up your teammate like that that's kind of kind of messed up but i, I think that you the, point- the other way
1: like oh if he had the same injury would be back in two weeks maybe he doesn't have that injury like yeah. calling him a liar it's <laughs> maybe
0: weird it's different who would have thunk it but like also it makes me think back to two weeks ago Uh, when everybody in the media decides to rip, uh, Kawhi Leonard and rip the NBA on this load management issue that they apparently have, it's not a real issue. Like, it's so not a real issue. It really bothers me when people really like try to say like load management is what's wrong with the NBA. Because, like, there's other problems they have. It's not load management. No one's going to care about a game in November, in July, especially when we're talking about Kawhi Leonard or Giannis or Anthony Davis or LeBron. Everyone likes to get mad for a day or two because the game was on TNT or they know about somebody who bought tickets. Like, I'm sorry. But when you watch somebody like Kawhi Leonard um, bust his hump for an entire 40 minutes, and then limp off a court of a regular season game, do you not see the correlation as to why he might want to take a game off, especially a back-to-back? Like, this dude is clearly not 100%, and I think last year in the playoffs he wasn't even 100%. He missed an entire year of basketball, like, whether he was super injured or a little injured, it doesn't matter, he's clearly not comfortable and 100% strength all times on the court right now. Like, does it bother you? Like, it bothers me a little bit when people really freak out about this load management stuff, and then you watch Kawhi limp around the court. Like, he doesn't deserve that type of slack, and realistically, nobody does in this league.
1: I 100% agree, and I think it honestly, like, this is going to sound funny, but it's like, it's fake news. It's fake news. Just because he missed a national TV game. Hmm, what network was that game on? You remember? You remember what network that was supposed to be on?
0: TN Tizzle.
1: No, it was the ESPN game, and then he played in the TNT game, the, oh the right, next right, night. right, right.
0: right. because he skipped the first one of the back to back, not the second. yeah. Back-to-back. and right, 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 what
1: right. what what was leading every topic of every show on ESPN load management? like Absolutely. they're just pissed they didn't get the game. like if if he sits out the second end of the back to back instead of the first end of the back to back and he's and he's not playing in the TNT game, I don't think it's even half the story it became. it's it's like honestly hilarious to me. I really think that's what that's what it was.
0: It, it's, it's a possibility. It's possible that that's a thing. You know, some of the producers or executives are like pushing because TNT. Like, hey, they there's... don't
1: have like those sports shows that you're watching all day long. So like right. you're on like on Get Up, they're talking about load management. Then on First Take, load management. Then the jump, they're talking about load management. Around the Horn, PTI, the Levitard Show, like whatever, High Noon, anything you want to throw in there, all like all these shows that at least one sports fan is going to be watching. They're talking about it. So it's on everyone's consciousness.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's just ridiculous to me. It's like, and there's other problems with this league. If you want to say people pushing their way out of uh teams that they signed contracts for and being divas and demanding trades, like that is a much bigger problem. Not for me. I I particularly don't get like offended by it, but for fans of small market teams and et cetera. Like I understand that's a real problem that players don't want to play in many cities. I get that. But when you have a guy who's at the peak of his powers as far as the ability to affect championships, like you should not be upset when he makes. This is, you know, 10 games in a year because he's hobbling off the court in November. Like, you know what I mean? And I haven't heard anybody since Kawhi's been back and he missed three games in a row. He didn't just miss one game. He missed multiple games. So is he load managing now? No, he's freaking hurt. And granted, he's not always going to be hurt. Uh, when when LeBron sits out a random game, he's probably not going to be hurt. You bought a ticket. You got unlucky. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Like, it sucks and I feel bad for you. But you know what? You didn't buy a ticket and get promised anything. You bought a ticket with hopes of seeing something great. You could have showed up and LeBron could have uh, stubbed his toe walking out to the locker room and missed the game anyway. Like there's way more variations of things that can happen here that make me not feel bad for you. You know what I mean? So load management, get it out of my face is what I'm trying to say. It's
1: it's uh, it's happened to me before. I was I was going to a Sixers game. My brother got me tickets for my birthday one year, and he took me to a, a Christmas where took me to a Sixers game and they were playing against the Bucks and Giannis sat out for like an injury but it was like pretty it was like probably load management but it was still like a fun game it was a fun time like it 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 didn't discourage me from not wanting to watch anymore but like I guess we're of the harder core NBA fans whereas some of the, if it's like a dad buying a ticket for his kid and the dad's not as big of a fan, then he's going to be like, well, I'm not going to spend money for not even going to see the good players, which I it's, get that point. It sucks. like, I can see it from their 100%. perspective. That sucks. Like,
0: it sucks. And also, and, and it's like the, pre- also, the ticket prices are more expensive for big time players and big time teams. So I get that part too. But like definitely. I said, it um, sucks, but what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Don't know. You can't do anything but about one, it. Th-
1: Here's one thing I worry about with load management talk is just the perception of it, right? So, teams are basically saying... You know, the teams are letting players sit out the regular season games. You know, it's it's happened from everyone, from, like, Kawhi Leonard to LeBron to AD to whoever, like, just over the years. And now it's even happening with rookies, like, 19-year-old rookies, like DeJounte Murray... or No, I'm sorry, um, John Morant on the Grizzlies. Like, that's happened to him this year, and he's 19. So it's kind of weird. So these teams are basically saying to you these regular season games aren't a heck of like they're not too important to us and then television ratings go down for the nba and i think that has there is a there is a correlation between those two like you're basically saying to us you don't you don't find these games to be as important so why should we so they don't watch as much um but to the but people are still like interested they just don't watch the tv game so that'll affect the tv rights they still watch like the youtube highlights, instagram highlights, stuff like that. Uh that'll be something interesting to watch over the next couple of years if like how much of digital media is roped into television and highlight rights or whatever. Just some just something to
0: think about. 100%. I mean, you go on YouTube right now and there's individual game highlights of you know, hundreds of thousands for a game highlight, for just literally a two minute clip of the best plays of like the Rockets versus the Clippers or something like that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Like those numbers, you know, it's not all directly taking away from television, but there are people who say, ah, I'm not going to make it to my TV tonight. Like I'm driving home. I'm not going to rush particularly. Oh, I'll go hang out with my buddies and, you know, watch the football game or watch some Netflix and I'll just watch the highlights later. So it's an understandable thing. It's a bigger probably topic for a different day. One that I'm very interested in. So maybe we can do like a longer episode on that stuff. But I just get frustrated when people try to all of a sudden pile on uh, a player for load management or pile on a team for load management when like the thought behind it makes sense, you know? And if these teams under, like they see this and say, Hey, if I can sit John Morant out, um, you know, six to 10 games this year uh, to help him be fresher for the games he's in. It's not going to hurt him down the road. He's not going to lose fans down the road. Like he may be healthier. He may be fresher for the games he plays in. All these things can be positive. And if you're a team, you're a management um, of an organization, like you're going to, Explore those opportunities and do what's best for your individual players. And like, sorry, fans, there's thousands of you, hundreds of thousands of you. We can't make each and every one of you happy. What we can do is make Kawhi Leonard happy. <laughs> like that's an yeah. easy. It's yep. an easy trade off for me. You yep. know. All right. Well, we got off topic there. I want to go back to the Clippers to continue talking about them. Um, Lou Williams, by the way, in the fourth quarter of that game, you talked about him taking over against the Rockets. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong. He had zero points going into the fourth quarter. Or is it zero going into half?
1: Might have been zero going into half. I don't think he had 26 to end the 26 right. and a quarter. That's, end. that's
0: correct. Maybe he had like 14 in the third and then another something like that in the fourth. Yeah, I think he had like
1: 10 and then 16 and 10, 10 in the first three quarters and 16 in the fourth.
0: He went off and he's been incredible. He's so much fun to watch off the bench and all that stuff. Is there somebody in the league like him right now? Because for me, he's kind of a one-of-a-kind player where he actually is off the bench, accepts his role, but plays starter minutes, plays closing time minutes, and is like, like that secondary playmaker that I think every team in the league looks for. Do you know anybody else who affects the game the way he does uh, and plays that similar role? Like I think he's one of one at the moment.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. I think the, he's kind of the best version of what we thought J.R. Smith could be. Uh, he's like more under control version of J.R. Smith and more consistent. Uh, he's sort of like what we thought James Harden would be when he was coming off the bench uh, for the o- Oklahoma City Thunder before he went to the Rockets and became the superstar player. We were like, wow, he looks like he has a chance to be Manu, but just with better scoring potential because he's bigger and faster um, and a better shooter at a younger age. Uh, so that those would kind of be the two comps that jump into my head. But, you know, obviously Harden. On to be the superstar and Jared Smith never really could put it together on a consistent basis. So that's where you end up with Lou Williams, guy who is like I don't know, 70 percent of James Harden. But he's yeah. he, he's smaller, like he's smaller, he doesn't have the the range, he doesn't have the size, he doesn't draw as many fouls, but he's got that same mindset where he's just trying to he's he gets the ball and he's always thinking, All right, how am I gonna score? Like it's just it's it's one mindset always.
0: And he, he actually, like, has grown an incredible amount as a player. Looking at his... I think year, he's in
1: year, like, 15 or 16, isn't he?
0: I think it's 14, maybe. fourteen maybe, maybe He's been 15. in the league
1: forever, man.
0: Yeah, he has. He also entered the league very young. He didn't get a ton of time his first two years, and then all of a sudden, for Philly, he started really showing up as a scorer and et cetera. Over the past two seasons, he's averaged over 20 points. He's on pace to do it again. Like, thinking about his arc as a player and his ability to now not just be an off the bench scorer to, but to be like a legitimate off the bench playmaker is truly impressive. And I think there are players who are young in this league who, you know, draft time, we always think about their ceiling and what can this guy be? How many all-star teams may this guy make? And I think, more players should look at somebody like Lou Will, and maybe he's making it cool again. But to to say, like, damn, yo, this guy carved out an incredible path, an inc- incredible role. He's now played on a bunch of really solid teams, and he's as in control as any star in the league at big chunks of games and important parts of games. And can you imagine now, with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, that this team will still turn to him, possibly quite often, Late in fourth quarters to run the offense. Even like two years ago, three years ago, could you have imagined a world where Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are ready to defer to Lou Williams? Like that's that's a real thing right there.
1: It's crazy to think about. But actually, you know, like two years ago, like you said, I would have been like, wait, they're they're all on the same team. Uh, my, that would be my first question.
0: Where are they playing? Second right? question. Like, second they... <laughs> statement would have been
1: like, nah, no way. Um, yeah, definitely not with the Clippers, right? Um, yeah. Uh, but. I kind of understand it because at the end of the game, Kawhi and Paul George are going to be guarding the best players on the other team. And Lou Williams, one weakness is his defense. So at the end of the game, those guys might be gassed from going up and down the court with, you know, Tatum and Brown or, or Russ and West or Harden, like whatever it is. So at the end, they might just be like, Hey, our best play is just the Lou Williams pick and roll. with Montrez Harrell. Like let's just run that. And then we'll get a breather here and just kind of spot up. Or if they don't get it, who else is who else is better like catching on the wing while the defense is reacting to to the pass to the wing like usually that's out to somebody like a Harkless like a yeah like a Mo Harkless or like a Josh Richardson or someone like that but instead it's Kawhi Leonard and Paul George so now the defense (laughs) is trying to be reactionary and scramble to this play and all of a sudden Kawhi Leonard's coming with a full head of steam and that's when he catches a body at the rim like that it, it's it's a it's so many options like and and those three guys, none of them seem like they're gonna have any type of ego issue. Like the Lakers, they talk about you know is it is it James's team is it Davis's team and do they really care about it? And LeBron stepped up and was like, no, this is Davis's team. Like he's the young dude, he's better right now. Blah blah blah. It's like none of those guys care. They they just don't. So it's like if everyone on the Warriors basically had Clay Thompson's demeanor,
0: pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: It's it's just super healthy from a chemistry standpoint.
0: And Montrezl Harrell's the perfect fourth guy there, like because he is. We've talked about him before as like a Draymond Green, you know, alternate universe Draymond Green kind of thing, where he may not be quite as the ferocious defender uh, or quite the passer, but he's a way better scorer and still a good passer and a really tough, smart player who rebounds and does all these things. He's also one of the best guys in the short role when Lou Williams finds him on a slip and hits him with a bounce pass right in the pocket. Like, Trez is one of the best guys out there right now at his position who can kick that ball to the corner to wide open Pat Beverly, or swing it back out to the wing uh, for Kawhi or PG to shoot or attack a closeout. It's it's impressive to watch uh, them play without this much practice. Now, l- let me just ask you this before we start to move on from them. Other than the Stars, because I think right now with the Stars, we just have to say they look good, not amazing, but they have time to figure it out. And even their you know, let's say 65% potential is going to win a ton of games. Who are some of the other guys on the Clippers? The Zubaches, the Harklesses, Landry Shaman's hurt right now. Uh, but those types of guys, if there is any upgrade to be made or if any one of those guys you expect really has to uh, step up, who stands out for you in the others on the Clippers?
1: Um, from the other guy, like, so we're saying the Clippers' best five is... Lou Williams, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, um, Patrick, Be- or uh, I'm sorry, um, Montrez Harrell, and I guess Patrick Beverly, right, other than right. those five?
0: Because, like, Zubot starts, but he's basically, like, the Andrew right, right, Bogut. Right. Like- We're talking
1: other than the closers, yeah. Um, right. I would have to say, honestly, Landry Shammott. Like, you say he's hurt right now, but he just gives him another shooter. Like, Jermichael Green has been r- giving him really great minutes, but just kind of the tale of two games here. And you can see the difference in the way that the Celtics and the Rockets are built just in terms of their benches. Like, So guys we think of as like the other guys bench players for the Clippers, Jermichael Green, Rodney Magruder, were a combined minus 22 against the Celtics. And then they were combined plus 28 against the Rockets. And there was a difference of about one point between the two of them, like they scored 10 points combined in the first game and 11 points combined in the second game. So it's not like they did anything different on offense. But like that, that's kind of inconsistency from their bench that we've been seeing. And it's not something that's going to go away. It, it's really not. So once they get Landry Shamit back, I think he's the most important guy that that you mentioned because it'll just give him a third person um, to, to make shots on the perimeter and create. The Celtics have this thing with their bigs now where they lose Al Horford and they have Robert Williams, who is kind of like the rim runner, you know, catches lobs, dunks, really energetic. Tice is more sturdy defensively, can can space the floor a little bit. Um, and then Enos Cantor is a guy who's just going to put the ball in the hoop whenever he's within 10 feet. So they kind of just have a good big man by committee. Like, I still don't think they have anyone great and I still don't think it's good enough in the playoffs, but... It's enough to get by right now. So then, if you look at the Clippers bench, if you have Jamichael Green, Rodney Magruder, and Landry Shamet together, one of those three guys is going to have a good enough game where you're going to be leaning on them during those crucial bench minutes. Right. So I, that's why I say Landry Shamet filling that gap is going to be the most important player.
0: So you're thinking together as a bench unit, or the others, as I like to call them, they have just enough to, uh, you know, pick and choose their spots and and put the performances out. Uh, when they... Yeah, they'll just they basically
1: moneyball, like reverse engineer a good bench.
0: Yeah, and you know what? You get the vibe with the Clippers now. It's a Warriors-type vibe where people kind of play above themselves, and it may just be because of general positivity, because of good coaching, uh, good development, but even when PG and Kawhi were out, a guy like Terrence Mann stepped in and ran the show well, attacked the rim, hit some shots, uh, and they have that atmosphere, that vibe with their whole team, where people are going to play above their heads a little bit, and perform better than expected and that's something you don't get often and there are certain teams that always inspire that and when I say always maybe I shouldn't have said always like the Celtics uh minus the Kyrie years I guess um like you look at the Celtics now and Brad Wanamaker comes in and looks like one of the most sound solid players uh or bench players in the league that happens in places like Boston happens now seemingly in places like the Clippers uh, and some of those other teams, like you mentioned, the Rockets, usually
1: happens like with the Spurs. It right. happened with the Warriors, um,
0: and, and now teams like the Rockets and like the Sixers maybe don't have quite that vibe, and that's what you know sets them a step behind of these best teams like the Clippers, etc. Uh, when it matters most.
1: Yeah, and an interesting thing about the the um, Clippers coaching staff between like Doc Doc Rivers. Ty Lue and Sam Cassell, like all three of those guys, have championship rings. That's really. I feel like I I don't have any stats or facts to back this up, but like how how common is it that there's going to be three coaches on the staff that have championship rings? Like that's that all from different teams, right? Right. Some some as players,
0: some as coaches. It is. It's pretty damn impressive. Yep. Um. That's awesome. So the Clippers, the Clippers are awesome. The Clippers are really good. Uh. What. What it will what will become the real debate point, the real topic of conversation around the Clippers, isn't going to be you know how they do Monday through Friday on regu- a regular week, but it's going to come solely down to who's better, the Lakers or the Clippers. Right now, the the Lakers probably still have a slight edge, they have a better record, they do have and LeBron playing and, together longer. Right, they have LeBron and AD playing basically every game together. Uh, I, I look forward to the next game. For the Lakers and the Clippers, I'm looking up exactly the date, but I'm pretty sure it's early December uh, for when the Clippers and Lakers play again, and I'll tell you what, that is going to be electric. We talked about TV ratings before. Uh, The TV ratings for that one will be quite high. (laughs) That's my best guess there. What's your early take, though? uh on that on that uh they They play on christmas too that's gonna be great yeah christmas day is that the next one i think it's christmas day oh
1: i don't know if it is the next one but i know they definitely do play on christmas day the next
0: one's christmas day but rumor has it that lebron and Kawhi are going to load management themselves
1: if that happens there is no santa claus then it's confirmed
0: well (laughs) well,
1: then it's confirmed no santa claus i don't want
0: to i don't want to break it to you but there is load management <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! All right. Well, my last question to you is a tweet, and this is really a question to the audience. I want people to to respond. Uh, my my tweet I put out the other day. I wrote about the three A level closing options: Lou Will, uh, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George. And I said it's crazy to think that Lou Williams might actually be their best option down the stretch of games. Who who do you think over the course of the, the season? does in those closing minute possessions, who initiates the offense more? Lou, PG, or Kawhi? What is your say? And Twitter followers, @sportblognyc NYC, at P Kennedy with two Y's. Tell me what you think as well, because my guess is that Lou Will actually takes the most possessions. And granted, Kawhi might still get those shots, PG might get those shots. My guess is that late in games, they look to Lou Will to be their point guard, to be the initiator, and to be the creator that he's proved to be over the past two seasons.
1: I actually agree with that. I think uh, most teams, their defensive. Like the hole on defense is generally smaller guards. Right. And Lou will like is, is that guy on the Clippers, you know, going the other way if they're best five. So then going at teams that, you know, theoretically think of like a Steph Curry or Kyrie Irving or someone like that to, to go at late in games, Lou will definitely going to look to initiate. And then if he can't, like you said, he's going to kick out. So I I totally agree. He's going to initiate the most plays down the stretch. <sighs>
0: Good stuff. I can't wait to see them keep playing, man. I really, really can't. They're actually playing as we speak right now against the Pelicans. Pelicans are a team that uh, we actually might talk about in a little bit, so stay tuned for okay. that. But uh, Sports Blog New York podcast, NBA Outsiders edition, Pete Kennedy and John Lucas Duffy, JLD. Uh, in the house right now if you like what you've been hearing don't be bashful go on to apple podcast app hit that subscribe button go on to spotify hit follow do all those things because it means the world to us and if you like the podcast that's just going to help you enjoy it more um and especially if you're on apple podcast don't don't be afraid to hit the little uh, five star button and drop a little review in there tell us what you think what you like what you don't like what you want to hear more of or even some hot nba takes or nfl takes because we will definitely get involved and talk to you back right here on the sports Blog new york podcast But now, Duff, we're going to move on to our next segment here where we're going to talk about some of the disappointments this NBA season. Some of the things that we've seen around the league this year through about 12, 15 games that have put us a little down in the dumps that we maybe had some higher expectations for that we think maybe can turn around, but some some of those things may be scaring us to the point where they may just keep disappointing us. So Duff, why don't you start with your first big disappointment of the NBA season?
1: Well, my big disappointment in the NBA season was the Brooklyn Nets because they started four and seven. Didn't look like Kyrie was syncing up with the team. You know, what what are they going to do? How's um, Coach Atkins going to figure it out? And how is he going to get him to buy into the offense? Because they said, you know, they they basically weren't running anything. Um, Since then, Kyrie sat out five games and with an injury, and the Nets are. Four and five since he's been out, and climbed our way back to eight and eight. So, I still have them as a disappointment because guess what, Kyrie's not going to be injured the whole year, probably. So they're going to need him down the stretch and to in the playoffs. You know, if they get there, which I'm sure they will. Um, so that that's why I have the Nets kind of as a disappointment right now. Like everyone else knows what to do and and how to win games, and hopefully they can positively pressure. Kyrie into getting into their winning culture right um, getting
0: in line I, getting in line
1: yeah getting in line with just you know d- hey man like we get it you're f- amazing but you're not bigger than the team these are the things that we know we need to do to win and you have to get with us on that you know I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get pretty disappointed I mean it's I'm happy for the Nets but I'm a, discouraged for uh Kyrie Irving you know and I'm a little worried for next season when Kevin Durant comes back and they're supposed to be playing together and maybe it'll be totally different dynamic once you have two stars instead of one especially Kevin Durant right uh if he's on you know the healthier more capable end of that but that's why I'm disappointed in the Nets right now but I'm happy they're still in you know they're still squarely going to make the playoffs
0: Yeah, and thankfully the Eastern Conference has uh, some holes in it where the Nets, if they don't make the playoffs, would be like one of the biggest disappointments of all time, possibly. Uh, And you hope Kevin Durant is that player, and he seems to be that player, to kind of just help people slash force people by his unselfish nature and just incredible basketball talent that other people just get in line. Uh, by way of proximity, like just by being close to him, by seeing him work and seeing him play the game the right way. Um, so I expect that, but that's also a long ways away. And we talked about it on our last podcast, Duff, with the Nets and how at times you see this negativity on the court with body language and other teammates' actions. Spencer Dinwiddie is one who who jumps out when you watch them. He gets in there, and he doesn't feel like he's involved as he should be, because he is one of the best bench players in the league. When we were talking before about Lou Williams and what other bench player can really close games and be that dude, like Dinwiddie is probably someone we should have brought up, right? He's mm-hmm. that he's that good. Um, he's probably not quite the scorer that Lou Will is, but he's not far off. He's a very very talented. Yeah, player. not the same shooter, right? Um, but when he starts taking like forcing shots up because he feels like he's just not getting involved in the game, and he feels like he if he doesn't take shots when he gets the ball. He'll never get involved. That's a negative thing. And now we've seen them play a couple games without Kyrie and without Karis LeVert, and they've looked solid. And they looked much closer to the Nets team that many people fell in love with last year, where it was one for all, all for one. Um, And that vibe is a really, really scary thing to deal with if you are a Nets fan. Um, Because it it, does it even make you excited for Kyrie to come back? You, You start watching this team without him, and you say, "Damn, I'm not sure they're that much better." But they play way more proper. They play better basketball now, and they move the ball. and Joe Harris is doing those things we we like to see. Jared Allen is doing those things we loved last year. The backdoor cuts are back involved. It, it sucks to just sit here and and try to blame Kyrie for something he technically didn't do. Like he didn't do anything specific to make this happen when he's out.
1: Well, we talk about it. We talk about it but with uh, LeBron all the time, where where it was like he would how was it to play with LeBron? Like you have to fit your game to maximize his. So like, I don't know if Kyrie, he, he might be that same way where, where he, he can't really play a different way to maximize others. Others may have to play a different way to maximize him. And I don't know, is he good enough to, to warrant that? Or, you know, he's, he's certainly talented enough, but we're talking about a six, nine. You know, 260 pound player like LeBron James who can do everything, versus like a six foot, six foot two point guard and Kyrie Irving. Like it's a very different uh, equation when you when you take that into effect.
0: Right, and this is the classic argument of like, why do players not vote for MVP or why do players not just pick the All Stars and 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 et cetera? Why do the media have a a bigger say than the players? The players know the real talent. The players know the real this, the real that. That the Kyrie Irving case is the exact reason why not. Because if you go around the league and ask players who the best point guard is, you know Kyrie Irving is going to get way more picks or way more votes than even somebody like Damian Lillard, Pro- probably right. It's probably split, right? Damian Lillard gets the respect from other players, but just to use him as a as a test case here, you know,
1: Kyrie would probably get more votes than Dame.
0: Yeah. I think he, I think he might too because Kyrie's game is so beautiful. It's so uh, impressive. It's so lovely to watch when he's cooking. Um, but he doesn't have that general leadership that Damian Lillard has. I, I look back to when Enes Kanter joined the Portland Trailblazers last year, and I know Enes Kanter says a lot of things, and he's kind of you know a clown about certain things at times, and he'll call out Jared Lelly for being fat. Meanwhile, Enes Kanter
1: is—is that a lie? Spot the lie. No, that's true. Exactly. That's has Enes Kanter ever been wrong though? That's my—that's my, that's my mm. point.
0: So Enos Kanter, as much as he's a goofball sometimes. He's willing to speak his mind. You gotta respect it. When he joined Portland last year, he was very clear about saying, "This is the best team I've ever been on," um, and he's been on some okay, okay, solid, some solid teams. I mean, that's and,
1: that's just not true. Well, he meant he was on the he, 2016 Thunder. He, like, he meant
0: um, best teams to play for
1: is what he meant. Oh, Okay, most enjoyable. Most yeah, enjoyable yeah, yeah, teams. yeah. His
0: favorite team to play on, his his best team to play on, not the most talented team. And his okay, point his okay. point was Damian Lillard is that dude who just leads by example. He doesn't say a whole lot. He just Everybody follows in order and stays calm, stays poised, stays positive, and everybody follows his lead, whether you like it or not. Cantor said he showed up and without any hesitation, without any second of doubt, he fell right in line with Dame Lillard. And when he got a little feisty on the court and started talking smack or whatever, Dame was like, nah, it's not what we do. We keep it serious, we keep it cool, we keep it collected, and we win by outplaying other teams. And that's just not something that exists with Kyrie Irving. And that's why players, as much as they know who's the most talented, they don't know exactly what's going on in other locker rooms. And neither do media, really. But So I don't know exactly what I'm arguing. But my point is, it's not all about how pretty the guy's game is. It's more than just that. And it's starting to show more and more with these holes in Kyrie Irving-led basketball teams every single year.
1: Yeah, and uh, it, as fun as that Portland team was last year... Ugh. This year? Woof. Oh,
0: man. And is that a good segue to disappointment number two? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, it was until you said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, so, so you're saying that uh, calling something a good segue takes away the goodness of the segue?
1: Yeah, it's like when you have to explain your own joke or something like that.
0: Damn it. I'm sorry. I ruined your mojo there. Continue.
1: It's all right. So three weeks in a row, it's fine. um <laughs> Yeah, so the the Blazers, they've been disappointing this year. Five and twelve. Woof. Um the good news for them is the eighth seed is in the in the West is eight and eight, and that's probably what the eighth seed is gonna be at the end of the season. Five hundred team. Something like forty two and forty, forty one and forty one, whatever. Something in that range. So you know the Blazers are not out of it, but you know, mathematically or theoretically, but I, I think they're out. Like I, I watched them play. They don't pass the eye test for me. Like, there's just too many gaps. There's too many. It's like death by a thousand cuts. There's too many little things that they don't have going for them. You know, Dame gets a little banged up. Zach Collins gets a little banged up. Nurkic is going to be out most of the year. When he comes back, he's probably not going to be right. They lose Amino, Harkless, Evan Turner. Like, you don't think of those guys as great players, but they're they're part of the reason that we praised the Blazers last year was their continuity and that's why we felt they had made it so far in the playoffs and and something that was that was really good for them now you look at this year and think of all the guys i just named that they're either in and out of the lineup or out of the lineup entirely so it's like a quarter of the team between aminu harkless turner and nurkic and guys who got huge minutes for them um and nurkic being one of the best bigs in the league so I don't think they're going to be able to write the ship even with Carmelo Anthony here. I, I think their season, I, I'm just about ready to write this team off. They they can't defend anyone. they are given up 116 points a game, uh, which is the most second most in the Western conference after the Pelicans. Um, they got like a minus four point differential per game. That's not good. That's like being the Kings essentially uh, who are six and eight, which is much better than five and 12. Uh, I, I I don't know. Pete, what do you think of the Blazers? Because I'm, I'm just not seeing it this year.
0: So I have some personal take reasons to say they have a chance to turn it around. I, I believe my quote from our Western Conference Over Under preview podcast was The Portland Trailblazers are the San Antonio Spurs without the championship pedigree, right? I believe that's what I said. And <clears throat> I felt strongly about that. And I, I don't think over the past six years that that team. Take... You
1: still might be right. You still right. might, be, but imagine a year the Spurs might not have had Tim Duncan. Exactly.
0: They would have still found a way to be respectable, to be consistent, to be 500-plus and continuously compete. Now, the unfortunate thing for Carmelo Anthony here is that he comes and joins his team, and even if he is going to help the offense, which he shot pretty well from three so far, uh, like straight up, just like off the numbers, he's shooting well from three-point land, which is one of the few things that people w- say is necessary for him to do to stay in this league, right? So even if he's doing that stuff, the problems for this team run so much deeper than whatever the hell Melo could even possibly do at this age in his career because their defense is Swiss cheese, Duff. It's Swiss mm-hmm. cheese. Now, Dame and CJ have been talked about for years. Should you blow it up, they can't hang defensively. They can't get it done uh, defensively as a backcourt even though they're incredible on offense. These things now are coming back into consideration because they don't have any help. They don't have Al Aminu. They don't have Mo Harkless anymore like you were just talking about. And those things matter when your two best players just don't have that type of juice defensively against a heavy, uh, a dominant guard league, especially in the Western Conference. So I don't know where the silver lining is so far with this team. Like Hassan Whiteside has been terrible for this team, and that, is that strong to say he's been terrible? All right, like no, he's not good. you not overstating it. When you are now depending on Rodney Hood, who's not a, a great defender. Uh, Anthony Simmons, who may be a fantastic player in a couple of years. Right now, he's just a solid scorer who's very, very young. As a rookie. Right. <clears throat> Zach Collins is out for a, a good portion of time uh, still. Mario Hazonia was playing crunch time minutes for them like last week. Like Their problems run so deep right now on the defensive side of the ball that I don't know how it's going to turn around, and it makes me sad for Dame. It makes me sad for Mello because I'm not sure where the silver lining is right now. Cause
1: right How could it, it you say it makes say. you sad for Mello before it makes you sad for CJ? Like, Jesus Christ, man. He's been on the team for I'm sorry. Games. Well,
0: when I said it um, makes me sad for Dame, it makes me sad for Dame and CJ. I'm sorry. Like You know what? Well, CJ McCollum is going to be fine. They're
1: different people, Pete.
0: CJ McCollum is going to be fine. Uh, Melo could be out of the league if this doesn't go right. And if he becomes scapegoated like he did in Houston, now granted, was he good in Houston? Absolutely not. But their problems ran a lot deeper than Melo at this point last season. And he got blamed. He got kicked off uh, the team and James Harden went bonkers for like four weeks and, Put the team on. Yeah, his, back. his
1: move was like, all right, Dantoni and whoever else just like figure this shit out. I'm going to score 30 a game and we'll, we'll, keep, I'll keep it afloat.
0: Right. So, can Dame do that when he comes back? We haven't seen Dame play with the mellow Blazers now yet. I'm not, not that they're the mellow Blazers, but you know
1: what I You're mean? Such a dick. <laughs> you
0: know what I mean? <laughs> the, the Blazers with mellow on them, right? The, whatever the new Blazers are with Carmelo Anthony.
1: We That's haven't... all you have to say, dude. It's just, the, it, this is the mellow era Blazers. Like, and ugh. that's,
0: that's not good. And if, it's unfortunate because the problems have nothing to do with him right now. And granted, he got torched on defense in his first game. He didn't do much, much better in his second game. But he shot the ball well. And what has everybody said? If Melo can shoot the three and help rebounding, he deserves to be on a team. And I think that's true so far in two games for Portland. Uh, but it's, it's unfortunate because there is no other positive to, to take from this team right now.
1: Yeah, so this... I- to be fair, like he has done those things. I'm not going to say, you know, obviously mellow's is not the reason that they're five and 12 because they were five and 10 when he got there. Right. So, um, and he had, he's done those two things. And like you said, it just, their issues run so deep. So I love to throw a mellow shade, but again, you know, not like credit where credit's due blame where blame is due. It's not his fault. Um, but I don't think like he hasn't been a negative, but also like how much of his a positive has he been?
0: Like, no, he's mean, not been a positive. He's been a
1: negative. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, all right, that's that's fine. That's enough blazer talk. So, Let's move on. All
0: oh, I'll say real quick. Sorry, so cut you off there. I think I think it gets better. It gets better than it is now, but that's not saying much, and it's not saying enough uh, that they're going to be to get
1: them in the playoffs. To yeah. get
0: exactly to get them in the playoffs. Because you look at the rest of the Western Conference, and you look at Dallas, you look at Phoenix, Minnesota, and the Pelicans. All those teams seem to play harder, more together, and have less, uh, you know, overarching holes than the Blazers yeah. do right now. And that's why, though it may get better, it's not gonna get good enough.
1: Yep. Uh moving on. Do we have the Pelicans up next, Pete? Was that the one?
0: Uh no, let's save that one. I, I want to do that one last. What well, i will take the I'll take this one. I haven't uh introed uh disappointment yet. So my dis- yeah, my disappointment goes to not one specific team, but the entire middle portion of the Eastern Conference. Now, this is an Eastern Conference that we expected to not be good. We expected it to not be good, but we expected some teams to be respectable, maybe a little more than respectable, to be competitive, to be not not a joke, right? So I look at teams like the Orlando Magic. I look at teams like the Detroit Pistons and the Atlanta Hawks. The Detroit Pistons are a little bit old news because Blake Griffin's older. Andre Drummond, we've seen him for a while. They don't have much talent elsewhere maybe Luke Kennard, Derek Rose, like that's what they got, right? So the Pistons don't have a great ceiling. Their floor isn't that great either, but they're a team you expect to be around 500. Now granted Blake Griffin missed the first couple weeks. He's just getting back into the swing of things. Now the real team that the real two teams that highlight my overarching disappointment with the middle of the Eastern conference is the Orlando magic and the Atlanta Hawks, the Hawks lost John Collins. And that's been a bigger blow than I could have ever imagined. Now, granted, he's been an awesome rebounder, good offensive player for a young guy, but I did not expect this team to go into the tank because they lost John Collins. This team can't defend anybody. Their offense is not as strong as it looks when you just watch Trey Young highlights. They don't play like a real team right now, and that is disappointing because nobody expected them to be a four seed, to be a playoff uh, contender, but a lot of people looked at this team with young talent, with uh, two first-round picks, two top-ten picks, actually, in Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter, and there's been not one jump forward for this young team that ended the season so well last year. They ended the season with with juice, with fire, with a a reason to look forward forward. Uh, in a positive manner about this franchise, and they've had nothing good come out of this season so far. They're 4-12. and They have the same amount of wins as the Knicks right now, Duff. That's not a good thing. That's not something Ugh. to be proud of. And I'm disappointed in them. But then also the Orlando Magic... They're a team that defends stoutly. They really, really do. They have talent on this team. Aaron Gordon, um, Mo Bamba's been a little bit better than expected. He's actually been able to play. Vucevic is really good. Evan Fournier can put the ball in the hoop. And yet, they're 6-9, and and they're not able to consistently beat uh, the middle of the East. I thought, at minimum, we'd see them assert themselves as not a great team, but a 500-competitive team that belongs in the playoffs and can give anybody a run for their money. And uh, Jonathan Isaac looking better than he did last year hasn't been enough. I'm disappointed in the new Orlando Magic this year, Duff.
1: Poor Frank, you know, poor Frank and Mo Bamba, because that was his dude, you know. It was Frank was all in when he was at Texas when he got drafted. That song came out, he was vibing. That was a good, that was a good time for Frank Vellani. But unfortunately, he can't get minutes over. Uh, who's the, who's the center that's been getting more minutes over him?
0: Uh, Ken Birch.
1: Kem Birch. That's right. I forgot his fucking name. Who's who's Um, who's
0: another guy who, like, you know, NBA nerds are like, yo, this guy can do some stuff, right? Yeah. And when you got a bunch of guys on a roster who you say, hey, these guys can do some things. Markel Fultz has done some things. Like, he's not perfect. He still can't shoot like he used to. But he's able to do some things now, and he's made some big plays. But it hasn't led to a a sort of consistency that I expected from a team who made that little mini-jump last year into the playoffs, into that 500- Uh, plus range, and it it hurts to see because they're another team like the Hawks that came into this year not expecting greatness, but expected real positivity, and it just hasn't quite been there. Luckily for them, and this is on the positive side of the disappointment uh, segment, I think they have the time and the ability to figure it out and prove themselves to be that sixth seed that we expected them to be. And that's a really big thing to ask for, right? But I expect them to start getting better. Alfred Camino Um, Markel Fultz, Terrence Ross, Aaron Gordon, like these guys can play basketball, and I think they just need to figure out their offense because their defense is really, really good, and they're not a team to be slept on, but they have been so far this year.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm more disappointed in the Magic than I am the Hawks. Like I think that John Collins injury, like I wasn't expecting the Hawks to be a playoff team. I was expecting them to get like high 30 wins would have been like a good season for them. Uh, No John Collins. I don't know what to expect from anyone else. Like Cam Reddish has been a disappointment. Uh, which for whatever reason, like that guy must be like the all time practice player, like in his workouts and stuff, it must be crazy. Uh, cause on the, I've never seen him play well, but he is like highly touted and I, we've talked about this before, but yeah, I'm, I'm fairly disappointed in both those teams and fairly disinterested in watching their games other than just like Trey young shooting logo threes. Right. That's pretty much and it. And that kind of
0: goes back to that Kyrie conversation we were having with Trey Young. Is there a sense around his roster? Well, when... Trey
1: Young Trey Young no. No, I disagree that this is I don't think this is a fair comparison. A because of the age difference and just the number of years and not only between the two players but the guys they have around them. Like no one on the Hawks really knows what they're supposed to be doing either. So I don't think it's fair for Trey Young to get that and then also he's That's just fair. a better passer. Oh, so he really if good. he if he eventually gets to that stage where he's more comfortable with guys like um, Collins or Hunter, Reddish, you know, whoever else on that team, I I think it'll be a much different story.
0: All right. That's fair. That's fair. There's still some things to look forward to Uh, They just have not come to fruition just yet. And uh, until John Collins comes back for the Hawks, I don't expect them to come into fruition, to be honest.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: All right. So this leads us to our last disappointment um, of this segment here. We're going to talk about a disappointment from a fan perspective and from a general NBA perspective that I don't want this to be like to shed light on or to shed light negatively on a specific individual. But as a NBA collective fan base, I think we are all to be disappointed with the new Orleans Pelicans this year and they're starting to play better. They still are a pretty fun team to watch. They compete really hard. Brandon Ingram's been fantastic. But we were all stripped from something amazing, Duff, and early on in this NBA season, we were all looking forward to Zion Williamson playing NBA basketball, and we have been stripped of that. So just on behalf of the general NBA fan base, I want to say I'm not mad, but I'm disappointed that Zion Williamson's debut still has not happened. We do not know exactly when it will happen. But I guess the one shining positive out of this situation is that whenever it does happen, it'll give the NBA a really big spark in the middle of a week or around Christmas time or the new year when maybe we're in the lull of the season, we get to turn around and say, hey, now we get to see Zion play NBA basketball because it's been sad to watch a team we were all so excited to, uh, to watch this year without that stud rookie we all expected to win rookie of the year.
1: Yeah, to me they kind of look like it's 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 weird. It's like they're um like like a horse that that's supposed to be like a thoroughbred, right? But he's only he's only like a few months old. So he doesn't really know how to walk or run quite right just yet, and there'll be flashes where you know, he'll you'll see the burst of speed or something like that. And that's how I kind of look at the pelicans, it's like they're just so young and raw where you see them in certain games, they'll have they'll put together like Three minute stretches, or like, you know, a string of three possessions in a row where they're really clicking and executing and scoring in transition and keeping the tempo up and controlling their own backboard. And then there'll be other possessions where they're just throwing the ball all over the place, blowing defensive assignments, and it just looks really ugly. They're just young. They're young, but they have a lot of talent. And this year, the one thing that's been not disappointing for them Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram has been great. Not good. He's been great for this team. He's shooting forty six percent from three. Okay. And he has twenty he's averaging twenty-six points, a steal, a block, four assists, and seven rebounds. Like how shocking is that? I'm I'm with you. I'm really disappointed in in not having Zion Williamson here, but that's opened up the space for really Brandon Ingram to breathe. And I it, it might be just a blessing in disguise here.
0: That's possible. For,
1: for you think about the timeline for Brandon Ingram, where he had played three years prior. He was so young. This is his fourth year in the league. He's twenty-two years old. How insane? C- that's crazy. like that's that's completely insane, right? Yeah. So that's what you get when these high school guys start reclassifying recra- into college, and then they're getting into the league at nineteen, twenty, you know, or nineteen years old uh, instead of getting into their freshman year of college at that age. So, I think in the long run, this injury, you know, hoping that Zion stays healthy afterwards i think it could turn out to be a blessing in disguise for them what do you what do you think about that
0: absolutely think
1: think about what we were saying about brandon ingram like he was such a disappointment he doesn't shoot the ball well he can't create doesn't look comfortable he doesn't know how to pass all that stuff now look at him
0: yeah he looks freaking awesome dude i I wrote on twitter the other day like he is officially becoming a dude like he made i don't want to say he is a dude yet like he's not one of those guys in the league who is a cornerstone of the NBA just yet. Yeah, but every he, once
1: in a while he can do it though. Against the Suns, he was doing it
0: right. And he, but he's now in that conversation when you talk about people who can take over this league or take over uh, their corner of the league, whatever you however you want to describe it. You know, we weren't having a conversation that included Brandon Ingram a year ago. We were saying it was Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell uh, and De'Aaron Fox, and those guys are the people who will take over this league and and be the consistent all-stars and continuously show out uh, for the NBA and for their franchises. Ingram was just not in that conversation. And now, you look at... Donovan Mitchell's still been really good. Ben Simmons hasn't seemed to get any better since his rookie year. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is hurt, and the Kings are struggling. But Brandon Ingram just tick 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 up the scale. Like he's just gotten better and better. We talked about a guy like Bam Adebayo and his passing skills that he he's shown this year. Brandon Ingram, who played point guard for the Lakers at points last year when LeBron was hurt and Lonzo was hurt, you know, even when he was doing that, it wasn't like we were saying, "Oh, you know, this guy's really Uh, a facilitator of offense now you look at him he's not just a facilitator he's a dynamic scorer who can get the ball in his hands and do a multitude of things so it has been a blessing in disguise uh, on the Brandon Ingram front also another disappointment though was Lonzo Ball back to the injured list uh, again early in an NBA season will he play 65 games will he play 70 games he's another dude that when you talk about this team it was Lonzo and Drew playing defense in the backcourt, being one of the best defensive backcourts in the league, and that was stripped away from us early, and the Pelicans' defense has struggled because of it. Um, But the other blessing I would say is that J.J. Redick is still just freaking sick. What a blessing. What a blessing that guy is. You can say all you want about the dude's defense. It's not great, right? He's not that physical a guy who can just play good defense for 48 minutes. He just can't do it. But 47% from three on seven threes a game, and think about what he does as a three-point shooter. He's not just catching wide-open balls and shooting open jump shots. He is running off screens. He is pumping and then taking a sidestep and fading away to his left, to his right. He's having hardcore closeouts in his face, and he just continuously hits impressive, beautiful shots. I'm so like I'm so thrilled to watch him shoot the basketball because every single year he seems to add a little tweak or a little bit of a new ability to that insanely consistent jump shot that we've seen for so many years at age, what, like 33? How old is JJ Redick? He's still...
1: Uh, I think he's older than that. I think he's like, he might be like 35.
0: And he's still getting better and still getting these impressive athletic shots off where other people just can't do it. They just can't do it. So that's been a really cool thing to watch for the Pelicans. And that's why I like what you're saying here. They have... a a great amount of time in this season to get things right. And to be that, um, future franchise that we can't wait to watch every day. If that makes sense.
1: Yep. JJ Reddick, 35 years old. Okay. Pete, it's time to move on from the Pelicans. One thing, uh, that we should, we should end with that. I want to end with between the two of us here is just kind of our own personal disappointments that we found this NBA season. So, you know, I'm I'm gonna put you on the spot here a little bit. So for you, what's what's been most disappointing, either personally or just what you've seen from other teams, whatever. So you're talking no, actually personally. What's been your personally most disappointing thing? This is basically. I'm Nick- gonna give you five minutes to talk about the next.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say. So you're asking me what am I upset with about the next? Yes. And it comes down to rotations, 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 right? And I'm not saying Fizdale's job is easy right now. I'm not saying it. But when I've talked about this team and I've tried to to find the silver lining and tried to flip the offseason to a positive and, and do all these things with the Knicks, not expecting them to win a lot of games, but expecting them to be uh, a better cultured organization and to do some positive things and to look, you know, decent out there. Right. The number one thing I said is that we can't just rest our laurels on Wayne Ellington and Bobby Portis and Taj Gibson and Marcus Morris, like Julius Randle is going to be a part of this team for a couple of years, most likely, unless he gets traded. Um, Kevin Knox, you hoped, is going to be a part of this team. Frank Nielakina has actually been the biggest positive, probably, for the Knicks thus far. R.J. Barrett, when he's healthy, he missed a game for illness uh, last night against the Nets. Like He's been playing a lot of minutes, but I, I'm tired already. 12 games into the season, or whatever it is, 16, 15 games into the season. I'm tired already of, at the end of a game, checking the box score, and seeing 28 minutes for Wayne Ellington, for seeing 20 minutes for Bobby Portis, and 15 for Kevin Knox. I don't care if Knox is struggling, he needs to get the minutes. This team is not winning anything with now or ever with Wayne Ellington playing 28 minutes and chucking 10 threes a game. It is not a recipe for success. It is not a detriment on Wayne Ellington. I think he can be a positive scorer for a good team. It's not right for the Knicks right now. And I don't know if it's going to change when, you know, the Knicks officially say we're selling we're selling Ellington or we're selling Taj, but Mitchell Robinson needs to start. Even if he's in foul trouble, he needs to learn how to get out of it. These are the things that are most important to the Knicks right now. It's not about Bobby Portis. It's not about Wayne Ellington. It's about Knox. It's about Neil Aquina, Barrett, and Robinson. Those are That's it right there. Dennis Smith Jr. too. Time for Dennis Smith Jr. to play 25 to uh, 30 minutes a game. Those are the things that are bothering me. The team's energy since the whole um report came out I guess you call it a report that the Knicks are angling to fire Fisdale the energy has been better the effort has been a lot better Uh, so those things I'm, I'm actually on the positive side with at this very moment but I need to see the rotations that make sense I need to see more Dotson less Ellington more Knox less Portis so on and so forth and that is the number one disappointment I've had so far with the Knicks and it's one I kind of expected which kind of sucks
1: I think those Fisdale rumors and reports about him p- potentially losing his job play more into this than you think. Like when when I hear you talking about this just now, I just looked up how many minutes Knox, Smith, Robinson, and Akina are playing, and they're all down across the board except for Akina, who was like on and off the court last season. He only played forty games, forty-three games, yeah, was, so like he, was he wasn't really healthy. Too. Yeah. Uh, Um, but he's averaging the most minutes out of those four guys, which is, I, I was a little surprised to find that. Um, but it seems like Fizdale's coaching for his job. Like, that's how it seems to me all the time. We turn to coaches who aren't playing the young guys in situations where they should be, even though they're losing because of, you know, expectations from management or ownership, you know, unrealistic expectations that they should be playing better. So they have to go with the veteran guys instead of developing young talent, the Knicks should be playing these guys more. Like Kevin Knox was averaging 28 minutes a game last year. Now he's down to 20. Dennis Smith Jr. was at 28 minutes last year. Now he's down to 14 and a half. Robinson was at 20 minutes and now he's down to like 18 or something like that. Or maybe it was 22 and 20. Like either way, all those numbers should either stay the same or gone up. There's no reason to be playing these Wayne Ellington, Taj Gibson type guys more like Bobby Portis more than these these other young dudes that actually have a future with the franchise, potentially. And you're not going to know unless unless you see it.
0: Right. And I always find it interesting when you, when you hear about a coach, quote, coaching for his job, right? A lot of times when that sentiment is used, it's defending the fact that he's going with more veterans than young guys, right? But mm-hmm. when you really think about it, what is a better opportunity for a coach like that to save their job? To get the most out of Marcus Morris, who— I don't really want to use his name because he deserves to be one of the minutes leaders on this team. Like he's good enough uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and like a professional enough NBA player. To, right. Right. To, but you're talking yeah. about
1: a, a veteran who's hit their peak.
0: Exactly. So like, what's the better route for this coach, coach X of a coach of a team with no playoff hopes to save the job, to prove they can get the most out of Wayne Ellington or to prove that Dennis Smith jr. Is growing as a player. W- Seriously. that You know what I mean? Like, what, yeah, what no, it,
1: no, it's clear. Like that's how Freddie Kitchens got his head coaching job with the Browns, right? Because he seemed to have a great relationship with Baker Mayfield. Turned out to be wrong, but that's <laughs> how we did
0: it, right? You think about
1: if you even, could do that successfully, like
0: even a coach like um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Nate McMillan in Indiana, right? He's not mm-hmm. a coach who gets talked about very often, but he's a coach that when you actually look at the teams that he's been a part of, it's guys who play above expectation, and it's guys like um.
1: Yeah, him like and his Ma- staff seem to have developed guys, whether right. it was Oladipo who was dead in the water, Sabonis, exactly. they didn't know what to do with him. Even Brogdon seems to have taken a step forward this season.
0: It's guys like Miles Turner and Sabonis, like I said, exact, like, like you just mentioned, who do consistently add stuff, consistently get better, consistently make impacts while they're also making some mistakes because they're 22. Like Those are things that all exist in one. And with the Knicks, you just don't find it all the time because if Kevin Knox has a couple of bad turnovers, he may end the game with 16 minutes. And that's not the method that needs to be used here with this Knicks team. Like He's shooting 38% from three. If you checked out his minutes or if you watched games and you thought to yourself, Wait, why is Knox not in? He just hit two out of three threes when he was in before. Like, what is what's going on here? He made one turnover. He's done. Like, is he is this a Bill Belichick team? If you fumble once, you're done. Like, the Knicks don't. They should not have the pride they have to try to trot out these veterans every night and and think they're going to win games and it's going to matter. It, what's going to matter is at the end of the season, um, a team goes or um, outside people go, media or other players go. You know what? The Knicks may have only won twenty seven games, but they they put together some good performances. We didn't we didn't sleep on them. We couldn't stroll into MSG and just half ass ourselves to a twenty point victory. They freaking competed. Like that's what's going to keep David Fizdale's job, and that's it.
1: All right, enough of your bitching. It's my turn. Um, Fair enough. My disappointment, my personal disappointment this season, has been Ben Simmons. Just just Ben Simmons alone. They beat the hell out, the Sixers beat the hell out of the Blazers. Um, or no, I'm sorry, the Heat on Saturday night. Uh, they beat them 113 to 86, and for most of the game, it was actually a even a bigger lead. And he only had four points, eight rebounds, seven assists. He had four steals, but four points. Like I don't. He needs to assert himself more. When this guy came into the league, we kept comparing him to LeBron James because of how he he was so smooth. He was six nine. He, he had such great vision. He attacked the rim. Now he, like, my brother said this to me, and then it, like, something clicked and I almost crashed my car. I was, like, so, so shook by it. He kind of seems more like Rondo than LeBron at this point with his unwillingness to shoot the basketball and he, where he's almost forcefully being passive. And I think that game on Saturday night was an example. So I'm going to say something to you, Pete, I, and I want to, I want to hear your initial reaction before I break it down. I just want to hear like your gut reaction when I say this. Ben Simmons could potentially be the third like the third, fourth, fifth, possibly even sixth best player from his own draft class. Ooh. Yes. Fifth, that's that was exactly my thoughts. 5th 5th, 6th, 5th, 6th. Yeah. So let me read okay. some names for okay. you. Okay. Bring it to me. Because coming out of the gate, it was him, no question, right? So, Right, well,
0: yeah. Um, a little Ingram Well, after
1: he had sat the one year, and then he played the next year. Right. So, someone like Brandon Ingram, who's averaging 26, 7, and 4, we, and shooting 46% from 3. We just talked about it. Jalen Brown, who's taken big steps forward, uh, and, and it's been more consistent scoring, rebounding, and on the defensive end. Um, Pascal Siakam. I don't think there's really much like that one's super close like that that one he, he might have passed him right there there's not much you'd have to argue the other way uh Jamal Murray potentially like if he's playing his best game i think is better than ben simmons best game and someone like malcolm brogdon who just has to me a higher floor game to game offensively than ben simmons does so when i say he is now like all those guys you wouldn't be upset if you had any one of those guys on your team i understand that but moving forward i think those other players are more dynamic because especially offensively. And none of them are really slouches on defense. No. And which is supposed to be Simmons, like his vision and his defense are supposed to be his best things. But those are those things. Like there's a cap on that. You know what? There's not a cap on scoring. And every year we think James Harden, like Zach Lowe said it before this season, he was like heart, you know, Harden. He was so great last year. Uh, you know, he, the only way, you know, he he could be seen better by everyone is if he outperformed last season, which isn't going to happen. Like, he was so dismissive of it. And then all of a sudden, James Harden is, is shooting the ball even more, scoring even more points, averaging almost 40 points a game. And he's taking it up to a next level. Like, scoring ability is something you can't put a cap on because you can score in so many different ways. You look at a guy like Kevin Durant, uh, LeBron James, the way he even got better at scoring later in his career, extending his range. like. That's what I worry about with Ben Simmons. That's why I feel like we haven't seen him get better. It's because when it comes like vision is so dependent on who you have around you. So it has like you can find a guy, but if he misses the shot, you don't get the assist. So people don't notice. Right. And on defense, you can st- still get steals. That's hit or miss. Like who are you guarding? Who are you playing against? Like all that stuff. Right. So the one thing that can really unleash his game is just being more aggressive scorer. And he doesn't, seem seem to be willing to do it. Uh, What do you think? Am I overreacting? Did did any of that sound like it was complete, you know, gibberish to you?
0: Um, Yeah, malarkey. The one thing that I disagree with out of your mouth there was you mentioned how Jamal Murray's best game altogether can be a higher ceiling than Ben Simmons' best game. That's the only thing I disagree with because I think Ben Simmons' best game is probably better than anyone else you uh, may have listed there. Siakam, because of his
1: impact defensively, just
0: everything. Siakam, Ingram, uh, Jamal yeah, Murray, all Brashen. around potential. But the problem is we don't get Ben Simmons' best game very often. That's the problem. Sure. I think we, I think Frank and you spoke about it in our Eastern Conference pod, or maybe it was one during the season, uh, where he seems to be more worried about looking cool on the court than than making mm-hmm. good basketball plays. So that's really my thing with Ben Simmons right now cuz I've I've never sold any of my stock on Ben Simmons. I still think he has what it takes to be a near MVP level player in this league. But he's not showing he's not proving me to be confident. You know, he's not making it easy for me to to maintain that take because his best game is so infrequent. Like That's what really hurts, and I talk about R.J. Barrett as a guy who, you know, he's not a perfect player right now, but he just seems like a guy who cares so much about being great and about winning and doing all these things as an NBA player that I expect him to add stuff to his game every year. I expect him to want to be better, to never be embarrassed, all these these things. Even Jalen Brown, you just mentioned. Jalen Brown is a type of uh, competitor, the type of athlete that I expect every single year will come back with something better than it was before. And in three years of Ben Simmons playing NBA basketball, what has he gotten better at? Nothing. He's gotten better at nothing. He's now shooting 100% from three, which is really great for him, and I'm proud of him for that. But uh, maybe let me see you shoot 30%, but you actually take one every game. There's been nothing that he's gotten better at yet as an NBA player.
1: And that's and he doesn't scary. even seem willing to get out of his comfort zone to do it. To your point, like right. just take one three a game. You're going to be wide part. open for one three a game.
0: And, but my question even comes back to a more overarching or- organizational question here: Who's in his ear? Who's the guy who's saying, "Yo, Ben, it's a great question. I don't care what you're doing, what you do for an entire game. I don't care if you get 30, 10 and ten. If you don't shoot one three a game, it's a lo- it's a it's a loss for you." You know what I mean? Because there there's so many possessions in a basketball game that you can't say, Ben, oh, that was a bad shot. You took one bad shot. I mean, granted, I hope he's not taking that 1-3 a game in the fourth quarter with one minute left, but th- th- who's in his ear? Because I know we've been hearing about Jason Tatum this year um, Drew Hanlon was the guy this offseason who said, you need to get your three point attempts to six and your free throw attempts to six and you will get up to 20 points a game. And that is exactly what's happened. You would expect and you would hope that that's Danny Ainge or that's Brad Stevens, but it happened for Jason Tatum and he took the advice and it's working. For Ben Simmons, who is in his ear saying, dude, you need to do this more. You need to stop doing that. You need to be a a heavy effort guy all the time if you're not going to be a a guy who can shoot the basketball. You know what I mean? So who's, who's pushing him in the right direction? I've never thought Brett Brown has done that. Uh, with anybody in Philly, to be honest. And I don't know if I want to put all the blame on Brett Brown, but there's not seemingly a person in Philly or in Ben Simmons' life who is pushing him to new boundaries uh, and to new heights.
1: Yeah, and just the threat of shooting a three is so important. Like, you know who sucks at shooting threes? Joel Embiid. And you know whose (laughs) only perimeter move is a pump fake three? Joel Embiid. And guys still bite on it. So if that's all he has to do to get someone off balance to just blow by, is take just one a game. Like, it's going to unlock so many other things for the team. It's just disappointing.
0: (laughs) All right, John Lucas Duffy and Pete Kennedy here on the SBNY podcast, NBA Outsiders edition. Duffy, you have any last words for the podcast tonight?
1: This was a disappointing episode.
0: (laughs) Very nice. Very nice. I agree. Very disappointed with many of the topics in this episode. It was sad. And I think think half of our disappointments, though, uh, have room to flip. It comes from a place of love.
1: Like, we're disappointed because we care. Like, we're rooting for you. Not you, Orlando, but everyone else.
0: Like I said, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. And with that,
1: there's room for Except for the next.
0: Except for the next. I'm just mad. (laughs) Just big mad. Big, big mad. All right. Well, anyways, great episode as always, Duff. Always a pleasure. Uh, we'll chat again next week. Hopefully we'll have Frank back. He might be live in person with me here. Uh, So I look forward to it. So Duff, enjoy NBA basketball this, this week and have a great one.